Book thirteen, chapter three of Round the Block by John Belbooten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Uncle and Niece. Marcus Wilkeson had seen Pet but twice since the inquest, once in Mrs. Crull's carriage and once afoot on the opposite side of the street. He was delicately conscious that she regarded him with distrust or aversion, and raising his hat politely to her, bowed and passed on. He had expressly enjoined upon Tiffles and Overtop, in the communications which they had with her relative to the cosmopolitan window fastener, not to mention his name. He shrank from appearing to force himself on her notice. The discovery of her real parentage had modified Marcus's sensitiveness somewhat. He was now no longer in the ridiculous position of a middle-aged, hopeless lover, but was an uncle with a charming niece whom he could honorably love like a father. His first impulse, after the departure of the mysterious woman, was to hurry around to Mrs. Crowell's house, unpack his bundle of proofs, and embrace the dear child with avuncular affection. Upon him, glowing with this impulse, came the calm, deep overtop, to whom Marcus told the strange story. Overtop listened with lawyer-like composure, and when Marcus had finished, asked for the bundle. The story is likely enough, said he, but a lawyer wants to know all the proofs. So saying, he removed from the parcel the string which had bound it, and which, with the wrapping cloth, had become yellow with age, and brought to view a baby's long frock and a cap made of the finest materials and heavily fringed with lace, and a pair of tarnished golden morocco shoes of fairy dimensions. Upon an edge of the dress were daintily wrought in needlework the initials H.W. A separate package contained extracts from three daily papers, giving accounts of the mysterious disappearance of a child, and an advertisement signed Aurelius Wilkeson offering five hundred dollars for the recovery of his daughter Helen, and describing the circumstances of the abduction, so far as they were known, and the articles of dress which the infant wore at the time. So far so good, said Overtop, but it now remains to identify the original owner of these baby clothes with Miss Minford. We must find some old friends or acquaintances of the late inventor, who can testify that he adopted a child during the year 18-blank. Marcus, whose memory was tenacious of names, recollected that Mr. Minford, in his few confidential moments, had told him of several persons whom he had known in more prosperous days. With these memoranda to guide him, Overtop went resolutely to work, and in two days found four old friends of Mr. and Mrs. Minford, who remembered the very year when they adopted an infant child. It was the same year that the daughter of Aurelius Wilkeson had disappeared. Overtop, being a notary public, took the affidavits of these persons as he went along. Here Overtop would have stopped and left Marcus to break the important news of his new-found relationship to the young lady. But Marcus, who had a perfect horror of scenes, begged his friend to do this troublesome piece of diplomacy for him, but promised, when it was done, 
to appear at Mrs. Crull's in his new character of uncle. Overtop performed the difficult task with success. He found Pet not altogether unprepared for the discovery. She recalled to mind several conversations and significant glances between Mr. and Mrs. Minford, the latter died in Pet's twelfth year, in which there was an evident allusion to the mystery of her birth. She remembered how often persons had expressed surprise that she did not resemble her supposed father or mother in the least. She remembered that, on those occasions, Mrs. Minford had been much disconcerted, and Mr. Minford, remarking that it was a freak of nature, he presumed, had always seemed desirous of changing the subject. She remembered that this strange want of resemblance to either of her reputed parents had often been a puzzle to her before Mrs. Minford's death. With regard to Lucy Anserhoff, and the causes which prompted her to the abduction of the child, Overtop said nothing, because, among other reasons, Marcus, true to his solemn pledge, had told him nothing. He explained that the crime had been committed by a person who had formerly been a servant in her father's family, and that she had made full confession to her uncle, only on condition that her name should never be mentioned to any human being. Mrs. Crull, who, to a practical mind, united a love of the romantic and marvelous, accepted Overtop's proofs even more readily than Pet. She said she had observed, at the inquest, a wonderful resemblance between Mr. Wilkeson and her darling, especially in the nose and eyes. Overtop, being appealed to to mark the likeness, took an oracular three-quarters view of the young lady, and said that the word niece was written on her face. "'He's your uncle, my dear,' said Mrs. Crawl. "'There ain't no doubt of that.' but don't forget that I'm your mother now. Pet kissed Mrs. Crull and placed her little hand confidingly in the large, ineradicably red hand of her protectress. Now that Marcus Wilkeson stands in the relation of uncle to you, said Overtop, there is no harm in telling you something. He then broke to her the secret of her uncle's important aid in the affair of the cosmopolitan window fastener the sole credit of which had always been attributed by Pet and Mrs. Crull to Wesley Tipples and Overtop, agreeably to the wish of Marcus. "'What a fool I've been,' said Mrs. Crull, "'to feel the least doubt about this excellent man. It was very weak of me, I suppose, Mr. Overtop, but I don't mind telling you that, after what had occurred, I thought that Mr. Wilkeson's acquaintance with Pet had better be stopped.' I take all the sponsibility of it. We must make it up by thinking all the more of him now. At the suggestion of Overtop, a servant with Mrs. Crull's carriage was now sent for Marcus, and soon returned with him. When he entered the room, Pet rose and walked toward him, half hesitating. Her face was very pale, and her lips quivered. My dear uncle, she said, and turned her sweet face up to be kissed. Marcus, to whom the probable character of his reception had been a distressing subject of conjecture, was delighted at this frank, affectionate greeting, and stooped and imprinted an uncle's kiss on the young girl's brow. 
it was a pleasant way out of an embarrassment. The conflicting emotions of the hour were too much for Pet, and she tottered to Mrs. Crull's arms and wept for a few moments. "'You are her uncle, Mr. Wilkeson,' said Mrs. Crull, extending her red right hand, while with her left she smoothed Pet's thick brown hair. "'But I am her mother.' Mrs. Crull seized upon this early opportunity to give notice that her rights as adopted parent were not to be abridged, and happy she is in having such a mother, my dear Mrs. Crull, said Marcus. A quick ring, as of a familiar visitor, was heard at the door. The servant ushered in Bog. He was much changed since his last presentation to the reader. Six months of worldly polish, of private tutoring, and of a strong desire to appear well in the eyes of one he loved had turned the clumsy boy into a quiet but stylish young gentleman. He had given up the bill-posting business, not because he was sick of it or ashamed of it, but because old Van Quintum loved his adopted son so well that he could not spare him from his side. Bog passed the greater portion of every day with him, rambling through the streets or riding in the suburbs in the old family carriage or reading the dear old books to him. Bog read well now, and had learned to love those repositories of wit and wisdom with almost as keen a relish as the venerable white-headed listener. This was another bond of affection between the old gentleman and himself. At Bog's entrance Pet looked up and showed the sparkling tears in her eyes. A deep shade of anxiety passed over the young man's face and he looked around for an explanation. The prompt overtop was ready to give it, and in a few moments Bog was enlightened with the great discovery. And Pet has been crying a little because she is so happy. That's all, added Mrs. Crull. Sit down here, Bog. Mrs. Crull made room for him on the other end of the sofa where she was sitting her left hand still smoothing the soft brown hair of her adopted child. Bog took the seat and smiled across the good lady's broad figure to Pet, who smiled back at him again. This expressive exchange of glances was not lost on Marcus. He instantly saw, what he had not divined before, that the devotion, the self-sacrifice, the constant unswerving love of the boy had at last sounded its echo in the bosom of the maiden. As he swiftly contrasted the manly, athletic figure of the young man with the delicate beauty of his niece, he thought how well they were adapted to each other, and wondered that he could ever have been so blind and conceited as to suppose that a nervous old bachelor like himself could win the heart of that fresh and youthful image of loveliness and how thankful he then was that he had never, by a single word, hinted at the mad love which he once felt for her. He had no cause to blush now. End of Book 13 Chapter 3